Hello and welcome to the NDA podcast. It's always Media Thursday with me, Justin Pierce, the editor, and uh, me, Andy Oakes. I the... threw you by not saying the publisher. <laughs> the publisher yeah. <laughs> so this is it's always Media Thursday. We're recording on a Thursday. Uh, we're coming to you a week after the last one, which is kind of unforeseen for us on a weekly podcast that never is. Yeah, it's it's funny that on a weekly podcast we've actually only managed to really do it monthly, but so much has happened in the last week we had to get into the studio. We've got new ideas. People want to see what's here, what's on the desk. And we've got our new feature. What's the new feature? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be great. People are gonna love this one. So anyway, this is uh for those just who haven't heard it before. I mean everyone has obviously, but this is Andy and I's discussion of what's been happening uh over the last week or so in the digital media marketing industry. And as is traditional, I say, Andy, what's been going on? As is traditional, I will look blankly back at you. (laughs) Well, what's been happening? We had a really good event yesterday, um, Marketing the Marketers, where we got uh, 15 marketers in a room who all, it's their job to market agencies. Uh, And we had a great panel, uh, including the wonderful Seb Joseph from Digiday and other people ran from seven stars yep. and Hannah from Wavemaker and Jerry Dakin who probably I think had arrived at the event having just finished off his Christmas village yes and you know to plug a book and plug a book yeah so if, go and get Jerry's book everybody exactly and I think what was quite fascinating this is, this is the I think the third one of these we've run is looking at how agencies can market themselves better because agencies are full of the most creative people sort of you know in the whole industry but sometimes they don't do that amazing job of actually marketing themselves they do and i think the thing we keep coming back to on this is differentiation how on earth if you are and especially if you're a big uh, a network agency how on earth do you make yourself sound any better than similar sized agency um in another network and to be honest a lot of the guys said well you, you don't really um a lot of the things that they push that and we've we have this we've had this discussion many times you know they talk about diversity in dni initiatives they talk about um uh, being low on carbon and it's things that we've well your phrase is that's just table stakes these days yeah i it's table stakes what i think again all the panel especially it's always good having someone like Seb from Digiday on the panel because he can play the cynical journalist. Although that's not play it, that's who he is. Because he has all day people coming to him, telling their stories. Uh, and the worry is that all the stories sound the same. The narrative's the same. Yeah. And with all the narratives being the same, my, my, my grumpy side comes through and says, why don't you tell people how good you are at advertising? Exactly that. And I think... That's often missed. And a few years ago, the Ad Association had a great campaign talking about exactly that. They gathered people, I think it was at the House of Lords or somewhere, but asking people, why is advertising so great? And it is advertising contributes a huge amount to the economy. Advertising builds brands. Advertising gives people jobs. And as you say, Andy, I think sometimes advertising agencies talk about the other stuff, yeah. not what they do every day. It almost too often they sound like things that they say think they should be saying rather than doing the stuff which I think clients probably want. Definitely agree. So this is kind of the end of the year. Happy Christmas, everyone! Merry Christmas. Which is it? Merry Christmas. Merry Happy New Year. I don't think you can <laughs> do that. No. Yeah. Uh, and we talked last week. It was last week. Quite amazing about the party party season coming back, and it's definitely definitely true. There's definitely a, uh, a sense of optimism in the air, even though you know we know tough times are ahead. Q1, everyone's sort of looking out with nervous anticipation. 
uh, Q4 this year has been good, not as strong as kind of Q4 last year, which bounded back hugely. Yeah. Uh, but th- there is definitely a sense of excitement in the air. And there's no doubt that the year ahead will be not another weird year, but another another weird year because it, we are back to normal. And we're going to talk about, in a minute, we're going to have three of the masterminds behind some of the century's biggest events about events next year. And you and I talk about events a lot on this podcast. We do. And they are the lifeblood of our industry. We had, you know, Sarah from Index Exchange sitting, she sat in the chair I'm sitting now, last week talking about this, talking about how events are, are crucial, events are critical. Yeah, and it, again, funnily, talking about the, the event yesterday, how all of the agencies seem to want to talk about, all they said was can. Yeah. Which I thought, I loved all the people yesterday. I thought they were great, fantastic for them to come talk, but didn't that not show a little bit of a lack of imagination that if the only thing you do all year is bang out a couple of award entries and go to can? <laughs> yeah, because that's all so I I'm, I'm sure I've totally, <laughs> totally, re- that's a totally reductive thing to say, and they've yeah. all got, they're all doing wonderful stuff. But but I, again, we always talk about this, can's important, and Personally, I don't care what you say. Cannes going to be there. And we were there last year, the first one up you know, post-pandemic, and it was yep. as busy as normal. Maybe a few less less sort of uh, cabanas around the beach, I mean, less sort of less presence on the beach from the tech firms. But everyone was there, and it was amazing. I think Cannes going to be as big this year, if not bigger. Yep, I think so. I think so. Um, I think the, the tone that started last year, of it being more business-like, uh, will continue. And I think that's a good thing. We've all been to cans where people, you know, you, you hear the stories of people who don't get up till four and then start banging on the rosé until uh, Good old four. Days. The, no, the old days. Good but that seems to have been, to a certain extent, gone now. Yeah, I think you're right. People want, want to see that, you know, that hideous word ROI from events. And there is ROI from can. There is, yeah. there is, there is. It's undeniable. So I think, as you say, there'll be more focus on that year. And it's going to make a, a, a better can, I think. So what else has been going on in the last, oh, in one week? I well, you literally <laughs> just asked me that as I was trying to take some more, drink some water. Yeah. One of the things we're going on, I think, to sort of talk about ourselves again a bit, we've uh, produced this amazing report working with MIQ, looking at change agents in CTV. And there's no doubt that CTV is going to dominate next year yet again. <laughs> I could, the know our big problem with that is that, uh, you remember this week we upset Canada? Yeah. So we put out this the CTV, and I think the headline was CTV will be fantastic in 2023. And for some reason, we enraged a bunch of Canadians who, who thought we were talking about the Canadian television station, broadcaster. <laughs> who And it was great because I opened my Twitter on Saturday morning to find just reams and reams of tweets from cross Canadians. Um, um, let's, let's be clear. We like Canada. Huge fan. Love Canada. Love a moose. And Canadians. Yep. Not so keen on moose, but I can take a leave. So we have in a minute uh, three amazing guests. Leonard from Adweek, Steve, Steve Scafardi from Mediatel, and Ian Houghton from Madfest. Like, that is the good-looking face of Mr. Ian Houghton. It is indeed. So we're going to talk about events next year. Again, events we always talk about in this podcast, and events are the lifeblood of our industry. We don't know what's happening next year, but we do know, for instance, Madfest is really sold out, just about, for next year. So let's welcome Ian. Ian, how you doing? Wasn't the start I was hoping for. No. <laughs> Ian, can you hear us? I can hear you. Hello, guys. Hello, mate. Hey. How are you? 
Very, very well. Very much looking forward to uh, that lovely season of Christmas when no one wants to get a hold of us for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Everyone wants to get hold of you, Ian. Everyone does want to get no, hold of you. Not over Christmas, mercifully. <laughs> so we're this uh, as a kind of an event special, this podcast. Uh, we're looking at what's happened next year. We've got you and Steve and Lynn on the line in a second. You're first. So... Look, Madfest has been a huge success for the last few years. It was, last time was amazing. We loved it. And apparently, having lunch, had lunch with Dan, your co-founder, uh, yep. last week, things are looking rosy for Madfest next year. Yeah, it's going, um, it's going great, Guns. It's, uh, it continues to constantly amaze us, and uh, which is wonderful. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of um, we've got a new area next year, which is really good fun. So uh, the show shows probably about twice the size it was uh, this year. So all the lovely stuff you know and like will still be there, including the blue striped table. Um, but everybody loves uh, the blue striped table. Exactly, everybody does. Um, but we've got a new part of the show which is linked completely to the other part of the show, called Brick Lane Beach, and we're going to build a beach in Shoreditch with a promenade beach huts uh, the creativity theater will be in there uh, and it's a brand new sort of fun space for madfest which is uh, really good news sandcastles sandcastles yes there will be sandcastles all the fun of the seaside will be there donkeys oh donkeys that's a good that's a good point i'm sure we can get you a donkey if you'd like one. i didn't say i wanted one i just wonder if there will be a donkey here, but you know we'll take that chat offline and what would maybe, you... maybe, maybe, maybe we'll just include your zebra. If, oh, you're so good at this. Now, I've just seen that Steve Scafardi from Media Tales just joined us and Lynn Alt from Adweek. So, hi, Steve. Hi, Lynn. Good to see you. Uh, hi, guys. Hello. Hello, Ian. Hello, mate. It's a shame you, not, you see Andy and I are in the studio and you three are all virtual. So, it's kind of very exciting to see you, but also very sad. That to be fair, here. Lynn's in New York as well. So it would have been a bit of a trip That's for her to true. get there today. Yeah. I mean, you it would have made, been a little tough. You could have made the effort, Lynn, but it's fine. We'll, we'll forgive you. So we're, we're talking about events next year and what's happening. Uh, Ian's given us a bit of flavour of Madfest next year. So, Steve, talk about Media Town next year. I mean, obviously, we're huge fans of media events on this podcast, and we have been to several of your events over the last few months. A huge success. The last one you had, I think, was this week, the future of TV advertising, which I had had rave reviews from from people there. So give us your initial thoughts on what's the event scene next year look like from a media tell point of view. Well I think um I think what we've seen is uh, if you put the hard work in you'll you'll get the return. Uh, it's been a tough space for sure and it's always been a cluttered market. Um and I think where the challenges come from is you're now not battling people to get out of their office um, five minutes or 10 minutes down the road. You're asking them to come from their homes in, in the UK, Surrey, Kent, wherever they may be. And it's very easy for them to suddenly decide they may be a, might stay in bed when their pyjamas in front of their screens for the day. So I think, I think events are back, but I think people are being very picky in terms of where they go to now. And I don't think, you know, certainly what we've seen um, is the, that people generally now want to see a return, I guess, for their time turning up. So, look, for us, it's been super successful uh, year. Uh, we made a lot of noise during lockdown um, and, and punched above our weight probably uh, quite con considerably, but we came out of it um, on, on a good side from, from that point of view. 
And um, yeah, I mean, like yesterday's event was the biggest event we've ever had right. um, in the entire time that Media Tour events have been running. Um, and, and that was an event which we had, I think, I'm just trying to get the numbers through now, but over a thousand um, unique people turned up for, an, for the event. Um, and that was from all over the world. So I'm not concerned as I was probably this time last year when, <laughs> yeah. when Boris was putting us in lockdown again. Uh, but I, you know, I think it's, you know, you can't really take your foot off the gas. And so, you, you had Netflix speaking this week, didn't you? You're amazing timing. How were they? Uh, brilliant. We had, um, we had the advertising chiefs from Netflix and Disney oh, of course. Uh, speaking. So Jeremy Gorman actually flew in from the States uh, to take part and, and Rita Ferro from Disney dialed in and, and they were launching, but they're launching Disney plus today. So yeah, I mean, we were, super pleased that to obviously have them both and um yeah I, I, look, I guess from us it's really nice like we can kind of boast and go well we must be the we must be doing something right if you're getting the likes of those people turning up to the event and look you can't you know if you're going to call yourself the future of tv advertising you can't have an event with those types of people um at the uh, turning up and, and having those conversations so yeah, it was really good. And, and I think, you know, again, it's just about going the extra mile. We set up a uh, private briefing for Jeremy when she was there with all the key agency folk um, and some advertisers. So for us and, 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 and obviously I know what you guys do as well, you know, you, it just goes a long way if you kind of go the extra mile for the people that you want to, to turn up and actually support your event. You know, they're giving up their time. So I think it's, you know, don't ever forget that. And also don't ever forget the people that kind of helped you on the way up as well. You know, I always tell my team that for sure. Good thing. So look, Madfest and Mediatel, definitely shining stars in the UK event space. But Adweek arrived here this year. Lynn, do you want to give us a bit of a flavour of what you did and why and maybe what's what's coming next year? Sure. So, you know, I think Adweek's position has always been and will continue to be very community focused. And I think you know, particularly pre-pandemic, and then obviously these plans had to be on hold, as um, Stephen, you alluded to a little bit, um, we really wanted to to embrace the community in its entirety, including those readers um, that we have that are outside of the U.S., which is a, which is actually a pretty hefty, um, pretty hefty part of our audience. And so one of the most obvious markets for us to really focus in on you know, as a global media property is is the UK market and, and specifically London, given that it's, you know, one of our largest outside of the US, if not the largest. And, um, you know, right before the pandemic, we had made some key event acquisitions, particularly um, Social Media Week, which um, I know is, is fairly well known already in the London market. So it just seemed like a natural extension when we could all you know, get back on a plane and, you know, get out of our homes and out of our pajamas and um, be in one place again. That was just an obvious choice to to bring such a well-known and well-loved event property back to London, um, you know, based off of the success that that event has had in other markets, particularly um, here in New York. And the other thing we really wanted to do, um, which was very uh, successful as well this year, was to bring our flagship premium brand event, Brand Week, out of the <clears throat> excuse me, out of the U.S. and into the London market as well. It's for us, you know, that was more of an exercise of establishing who we who we are as a media property and the ethos um, that we bring to the community, which is that focus on that senior level marketing audience. You know, we know that the community runs. 
um, based on decisions that are made by folks in those positions. And so we felt that because that's who we are speaking to, um, whether it be from an editorial perspective, events perspective, et cetera, that it was important to lead, you know, with, with our strongest foot forward. So that being the, the property we knew that would, um, that was already well known in the market. And then, um, you know, what our true extension of brand should be in London. And that's why we chose, uh, both events. And even though we were battling, um, some pretty horrendous weather and a tube strike and a national rail strike, I mean, really just pulled out all the stops, uh, those uh, events were were really successful. So I, we I were, felt we really so sorry for, for you guys that you've battled so yeah. hard to get that event on, mm-hmm. and then there was a tube strike that day. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just uh, I feel like I was speaking to uh, Toby Dan- Daniels yesterday, who is the uh, original founder of Social Media Week, and he said, you know, every year we do this event. Um, we did this event. There was always a rail strike, air strike, something. So I guess that's you know that's just par for the course. So why don't you just quickly, before we move on to uh, others, what was the difference, Lynn, in launching the UK event, doing it in London? I know you spent a lot of time, and we used to work together, you spent a lot of time in London, but to UK, UK yeah. events compared to US events, what are the main differences? Um, I mean, I think from a macro perspective, I just think it's important that you understand the market that you're going into. And yes, there's an incredible amount of similarities and, you know, the, the common adage, right, two countries separated by a common language, I think is still very true. But I think it's really understanding the, the landscape of the market that you're going into. Um, I think we made some really important strategic decisions from a logistics point of view, you know, putting both events, um, in the St. Pancras Hotel and making them really accessible to national rail services and tube services, I think was extremely important. Um, you know, as Stephen alluded to, right, we're asking people not to just come from their offices, but from their homes, wherever they may be. And so I think, you know, ensuring that we made it as easy as is possible for people, obviously, you know, strikes <laughs> as an aside, um, was, was really important when we were thinking about, um, you know, the market. And then I think, you know, the secondary piece of that is who are the um, who are the the main drivers of industry, particularly in the London market, but also in the European market. You know, who are the thought leaders who are driving the narrative? And particularly with an event like Social Media Week, we're not just talking about the established, you know, FTSE 100, but we're also talking about the the up and coming you know, creators or, um, you know, brands and, and what story do they have to tell? And then the last thing I will say, you know, yes, I think understanding the market that you're going into, accessibility, all of those things are really important, but also bringing the, the competitive advantage that you have, you know, as a company like Adweek, which is that we can bring in, um, you know, a global community and audience. So, from a speaker's perspective, you know, having folks come from the U.S. or from other markets, um, because we do have that recognition and those relationships, um, is also really important. So it's a fine dance, right? Because you need to speak to the market. You need to address the specific concerns, thought leaders, right? You don't want to be tone deaf, but you also need to really lean in at the appropriate time to, to the competitive advantage you can bring. Exactly. So. It was a big dance to do, big... Uh, especially this year. <laughs> so the um, the thing which you, Lynn, and Stephen got it, have got in common is that you're both part. You both have a media property, media properties that uh, run alongside your events. So you've got a chance to be talking to your community 
all year round. Ian, of course, you're a standalone. You, you, the, the event stands on its own two feet. You, you, you're not foolish like the rest of us who decided that publishing was a great idea. How do you keep the community going all year? How do you get them to keep thinking, oh, it's Madfest time? Yeah, it's um, we, we were lucky in that respect, actually, because we when we launched in 2018, GDPR was coming into effect in the UK. So we had to be super careful right from the word go in terms of all of our data and acquisition of that data. So we, right from the start, got people to start subscribing to our weekly Friday newsletter. And we didn't just send it out to a database. So we started off slowly and we built and we built and we built. And we now have, you know, 42,000 subscribers in the UK, Europe, US, that receive that newsletter from us on a weekly basis. So that's a really great way of keeping in touch, telling people what's going on, speaking to them about Brick Lane Beach with the Blue Stripe Zebra ride. <laughs> And all of the other all of the other bits that we're doing, um, we launched Mad Masters uh, this year, uh, which is our training course with Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy, and that's got off to uh, to a really good start. So it's another nice touch point for the marketplace. Um, and we have toyed in the past with kind of getting more involved in the publishing side of things and just realized we're really just not set up to do that properly and we can't do it properly. And there is no appetite from us to do that. So we rely on, you know, what we've got to sort of speak to the market each and every week and tell them what we're doing. So let's talk a bit about uh, next year and real events and virtual events and you the Madfest was the first one to come back in the real world after the pandemic. We were involved with that. Uh, Steve, you were probably most successful at back pivoting onto online events when the pandemic hit. So next year, events are back. We know that. That's what we're talking about now. Real world events are back. But are they going to be hybrid? Is there a virtual element going to be important as we go into next year and beyond? So Steve, I mean, how do you see the, the, the virtual and the real worlds co- coexisting? Um, do you know what? Like all of us, I probably don't have the answer. Um, what, what I can Thanks, say, Steve. Is, uh, Steve, you have, you have to have the answer. Yeah. You have to have the answer. I, what, what I suppose, uh, yeah, you're welcome. I'm here all week. What I think we probably learned was a don't give people a reason not to turn up. So we stopped streaming it and, and giving uh. everyone the, the content for free. Um, we started to try and look at ways in which we could be just smarter with how we then put out content. And I don't think we've quite nailed it yet, but, you know, it was more for us about um, a marketing opportunity. Because the thing is, look, for me, look, you've got to have great content. Like, well, if you're a conference, certainly you've got to have great content. That's what you kind of live and die by. But equally, like, don't go too far away from remembering what events are all about. Like it's about bringing people together. It's about those connections. It's about those chance meetings. It's about those ideas that kind of spin off and you, and also it's about having a drink afterwards and like some of the best connections are made that way. To, to answer your question, I suppose, of how, how we see the hybrid world, what we've started to look at um, and we found very successful and look, we pivoted very quickly, but it was almost out of panic. I, I'd like to say it was this amazing strategy we come up with. We kind of all sat there and was like, probably not going to have a job what are we going to do um and we threw out like a calendar of events we literally had no content which had a bunch of dates and people started registering for them and we were like okay we've got to do this but what we realized and learned very quickly was that we stopped calling them events and, and started calling them broadcasts and we almost acted like a tv channel 
and it was, you know, there's two hours of content, but if you only want to turn up at 10, 20 and 12 o'clock, because they're the two sessions that you want to watch, that's fine. So we marketed like that. And I think as we've started to come through this year, we've worked with clients in that way. So we've just done this um, piece with The Guardian where they wanted to push out um, some content around sustainability on the back of COP27. And we, instead of, you know, we just changed the language and the way we promoted it. And we went back to that model of during lockdown. And it was, there's a broadcast on and here are the timings and tune in at this time and so on and so forth. So for me, that's what we found to be really successful. Um, we still run, you know, the odd, odd webinars and things like that. But I don't think we'll ever stream any content live. Um, and I think we'll only work with partners where there's a super relevant conversation to be had in a digital world where you're going to be able to attract people and don't bombard them. Like, because we all did that probably at the end where we were so desperate <laughs> to get, like, you know, to keep the lights on, basically. Um we would be sitting there, you know, two months later going, can we really talk about TV advertising again? Has it changed that much in, in two months? Um, and trying to come up with, you know, completely new, you know, future of whatever we was coming up with. It was every topic we could think of. So be smart about it, use the right language and don't bombard your audience with it because they'll get pretty sick and tired of it. Lynn, we've um, sorry, we've yeah. had a totally different experience. <clears throat> it's bizarre. We sort of... Um, because I, I get everything you've just said, Steve, completely. But we sort of opened Pandora's box in 2021. And we streamed everything live from Fest. And we, we noticed afterwards when we did all the analysis that we had, um, we had viewers from 33 countries outside of the UK um, watching various parts of the show, various stages. And actually, that that sort of led to great word of mouth about Madfest, and also kind of benefited the Mad Masters thing as well. With kind of quite a few people coming from Ecuador, would you believe it, to come to the training course? Um, so we kind of we're going to carry on doing that, even though it costs us a fortune to kind of stick microwave lines all through Madfest in order to be able to beam those stages out. Um, and then also another thing we're hearing about at the moment. I don't know whether it's the same for you guys with your your events, is is carbon budgets. So, you know, some some delegates, some sponsors, they're not just judged on their event budget that they're spending. They're judged on, on how much carbon will come out of their carbon budget by actually attending that event personally, if they're, say, in the States or from other parts of the world other than the UK. So we kind of thought, well, we'll carry on streaming because we want to make sure that everybody still knows about us. And if, you know, travel isn't as well adopted again for a while as it always has been throughout our careers, that we would still sort of keep those, um, keep those fires alight in different parts of the world where people just can't, for whatever reason, get to the show. Lynn, what do you think? You were nodding quite viciously, viciously vigorously there when he was talking <laughs> about conference, et cetera. So how do you see the world of streaming and like? real world events or coincide. yeah so you know absolutely completely understand Stephen and ian where you're both coming from i've been part of umpteen conversations at adweek that are along very similar lines um and certainly you know when we had to make those pivots it was the same thing i don't think anyone had a, a magical solution it was just let's throw a bunch of things against the wall and let's see what sticks um, but I think, you know, to both of your points, we've, we've learned a tremendous amount about, 
um, you know, what our audiences want from an event, what they're willing to prioritize, how they think about budgeting, whether it's dollars, time, carbon, like whatever the, the precious resource is. And, and how to be more, you know, responsive to that, um, and, and more community led. So, you know, taking a, a step back, Justin, you know, I think when we took a look at, you know, everything we've learned in the past two years and thinking about 23, um, it, it really started, you know, with those questions, you know, what does the community want, you know, from Adweek and the community, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm head of ad sales, right? So when I say community, I also mean partners, you know, what do partners want? you know, from these events. And, um, you know, the, the, the things that you both alluded to, the intimacy factor of an event, the serendipitous factor of an event, the not, the not so serendipitous, right? The curated elements around connections and meetings and, you know, filling funnel, whether it's MQL or SQL, um, and great programming and, you know, innovative speakers and, and folks that aren't necessarily on the circuit, right? You know, who, who are we getting that's outside of the marketing community, but that impacts the marketers? So thinking about, you know, what are those other roles that we can bring in that still have, you know, so much influence and work in partnership with, uh, with the CMO and, and with, you know, in general, the, the senior, you know, marketer or, even the more, you know, everyday marketer that, that we speak to. Um, but, but to address your, your question more specifically, Justin, you know, what we really did is, is took a look at what is the objective of the event itself? You know, what kinds of events that we want to do and, and what ultimately do we want to get out of them? Because if we're creating a really premium, high level experience, then that's not something that should necessarily be made virtual because the whole point is that there's an intimacy factor. There is a premium factor. There's also a kind of, um, you know, obviously not off the record. It's a, we're still a media company, but there is something to, you know, a conversation that you might have with a hundred people in a room versus a conversation you'll want to have where, you know, a thousand plus people are listening in virtually as well. So, that's something we absolutely took a look at. You know, what is the ultimate goal of this? What's the objective and, and what kind of audience do we want in the room? So that's the first piece. And then I think the second piece for those events that were um, the events that we will hold in 23, where we know that there is an opportunity to reach more people. And to Ian's point, there are so many people who will not be able to travel for whatever reason in, in 23. How do we not lose that? So making sure that these more broad level conversations for our tentpole events are available to our community that wants to be there in person and take advantage of all of the things that Stephen referred to, as well as a virtual audience that just wants that flexibility to tune in, um, but for whatever reason can't be in London or New York or Miami or, you know, in Arizona or wherever we're hosting our events, right? And so it really is driven always from what is the goal of this event? Um, you know, who are we trying to engage with? And then those decisions are made from there. But I think we've all learned that there is absolutely a place for virtual. It has worked really well. You know, the margin would certainly suggest it's very profitable. So, um, you know, where there is a time and a place. And I think the past two years have taught us all a tremendous amount of where that's where you can 
where you can have those types of events, where you need hybrid and where you need a, you know, in-person only experience. I surprised Ian that you ever went back to streaming after we spent three days <laughs> in deserted Soho recording the 99 Club Live <laughs> Which was the our first attempt at right in the middle of the pandemic. It was very strange. Which was the well, strangest was, three days I've ever spent in my life. Spectacular, but strange. Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll pick you up <laughs> slightly on that because we actually did it for five days together. We had. Um, he's, I don't, I don't his know memory's going. Did, did, did I sleep no, through two you, days you, of it? It was. Uh, it was utterly incredible. It was a bonkers thing, wasn't it? Five hundred speakers, yeah. five days. Every speaker had ninety-nine seconds, and by the time the end of the day came on Wednesday, we thought, "What on earth have we done? <laughs> yeah. What on earth made us do this for a week?" Yeah. And people still talk about the ninety-nine club to this day. It was a brilliant collaboration. It was good. It was that one of those things, the pandemic, same, you know, Steve, when you're pivoting the pandemic, you did crazy things and they worked beautifully. So listen, we're going to uh, ask all of you to give us one sentence on why people should be attending your event next year and one sentence on why people should be getting commercially involved in your events, sponsored or partners or whatever. So one sentence each on sponsors or attendees. Ian, why should people come to your event next year? Um, Madfest will be bigger and better than it's ever been before. There'll be 500 of the biggest speakers you'll ever see. Uh, the stage hosts are absolutely incredible. Um, and as a sponsor, why would you get involved? You get involved because you've got 15,000 senior brand marketers and senior agency folk coming to the show over three days and, and a real opportunity to do business. Amazing. So do it, everyone. Steve, same question to you. I'd say what you get with our events is we set ourselves up to be 100% media. That's the audience that we go after. We don't try and be anything different. And we've worked incredibly hard to make sure that we own that space. Um, and not only do we feel now that we do own that space, certainly for different channels, that we've got the trust and the ear of some very senior people in the industry that turn up. And these people are not easy to get in front of. And we work with our partners to make sure that when they're up on our stages, they are complementing the event itself. So we help them to make sure that they abide by our rules of how we were taught to our editorial speakers so they get the most out of it. Because it's good for us to make sure that we don't have, you know, bad content up on stage and it's brilliant for our partners. And that's really what's kind of shown us the way. Um, and I think that's why our partners are, are coming back to us and, and working with us. And, and we're having some wonderful partners reach out to us now that we've been chasing for a long time. So been a lot of hard work but you know we're 100 media so if you want to get that audience we're, we're the place to go perfect lastly lynn watch people come watch the people pay yeah absolutely so you know our ethos uh as a as a, a media property as a community has always been about helping marketers navigate the future and that's never been more more um more up in the air than it is today. And that is the content and conversation and community and dialogue that we're creating at events, um, that we're creating throughout every channel that we do. And that is why um, folks should come to, uh, to come to our events and, and engage with, with our community, you know, writ large. And the sponsorship question really flows from that. You know, we have an incredibly engaged and passionate community of you know, marketers from very junior level to decision maker. And there is a trust in our community and in our brand that sponsors should want to align and be part of because, you know, it all flows from there. 
Thank you. The three of you do run some of the best events in our industry. So we're now going to go to another section of the podcast, which is our hugely popular strand called What's on the Desk? Theme tune here. And normally we have people in the studio and they look at the desk, which Andy and I sit next to, and they read out something from the desk and then we discuss why that's important to them and the industry at large. We don't, but that's all. So let's try and do it virtually, first time ever. So, Lynn, let's start with you. You're going to pick something here, but actually you're going to use Andy's hand virtually. So he's going to start moving. You're going to say stop, and then Andy will read out what's on the desk, and you can... What, what Then what will happen? This is very complex. We'll, we'll find out. We'll I'd find imagine out. this makes more sense in our heads than anyone else's, but... But let's give it a go. What's right. on the desk? Okay. Lynn, you'd have to say stop at any given stop. time. Right, well, that's interesting because there is actually nothing on that bit. So if we move to the next bit, what does that say? What does that say? I can't read what that says. Something about onions. The onions. The onions. Well, and I think we can all agree with that. What does that mean to you, Lynn? <laughs> I'm not sure I heard it. What? I, do you know what? You didn't miss anything. I don't think you missed anything. <laughs> it's, it's sort of working. Let's try it again with Steve. Steve, what's on the desk? Go. That says. All right, loves. All right, loves something. I don't know what all right loves, but I think we all know what. Oh, all right, loves. Yeah, that's what it means. Steve, what does that mean to you? Uh, it probably means a very drunken night when I'm being turned around, turned down again in my younger years, and I've gone, <laughs> all right, love. <laughs> Excellent work. Thank you very much. And the last to play the world famous What's on the Desk is Ian Houghton from Madfest. So, Ian, go. Stop. Oh, I was hoping someone would do this. I was really hoping that this says David Hasselhoff. Ian, what does that mean to you? He's headlining day two. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And that wasn't definitely not pre-arranged. Amazing. Well, that's it. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for playing What's on the Desk. It's one of our most popular features. But more importantly, coming on and spending time with us and telling us about your amazing events next year. Everyone listening should have immediately hang up the hang up. When they finish this, go and book tickets and sponsor Madfest, MediaTel and Adweek. All of you, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Lovely to see you all. You too. Take care, guys. Now, you may have thought we'd peaked. Yeah, that that was prime. I mean, that was extraordinary stuff, wasn't it? But there's there's one more feature. And this has got nothing to do with me having a a mild hangover today. Um, But earlier on Twitter... I was reminded of a game we used to play when we worked at another place where you and I recited grime lyrics every Wednesday. I remember that well. It was um, I don't. It was a moment. So I put on Twitter, does anyone want to give us some lyrics that we will recite? Oh, good. So I put it out on Twitter and hope, hoping that no one would respond. Of course, the man in the crisis is John Mundy of Sage and Archer, who's come through. Always. Always. And asked me to recite some lyrics from, and I think, I think you'll... Be aware of these guys' work. Sultans of Ping FC and their seminal work, Where's My Jumper? Go. It's all right to say things can only get better if you haven't lost your brand new sweater. Pure new wool and perfect stitches, not the type of jumper that makes you itch. Oh, no. I'll tell you what. That was lovely. That wasn't it. felt good doing it. Thank you. (laughs) That was our, never to be repeated, second strand, drum lyrics. With Andy Oaks. And, and not me. Yeah. Not me. I feel a bit ashamed now. You should. Yeah. You should. But, you know, it's Christmas. Okay. Everything's forgiven. <laughs> so let's wrap up. I mean, 
to me, a total honour to spend a bit of time with Stevie and, and, and Leon. And I remember I said they are some of the best events around. And Adweek launching here was a, was a beautiful thing this year. And wasn't it fantastic that they're all quite happy to come on together yeah. and chat about what they're doing? And, and just genuinely, three of the probably the most unsung heroes in this industry. We talk a Definitely. lot about heroes and what lot of stuff we do. And Lynn, who we've worked with in the past, is just an amazing force of nature. Yeah. Force of nature. Ian is just. I don't know anyone who can sell an event quite like him. No. And Stephen just gets events so well and, and just pioneered how they would work through yeah, the pandemic. Definitely. So three of the very best in the industry. Now, if you think back to when we first started this podcast and we're talking about would events survive, would events carry on, and just the strength of just these three events alone shows you, A, of course they will. They're going from strength to strength. And B, how crucial they are to our industry. So I would guess, honestly, without sounding too sort of cheesy, our thanks should go to, to all of them to keep producing these amazing events that I honestly need. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So let, let's finish up now slowly. It's Christmas. Uh, well, what are we doing next? Well, that is a very good question. We're going hot buttered rum. Hot buttered rum. So hot buttered rum is the drink of Christmas. To what is the year? 2022? 22. Yeah, it gets your liver and your arteries. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. We've got, I think, I mean, we'll probably do a, maybe do an end of the year podcast next week. I don't know why I'm even saying that, because we might or might not. We never know, do we? No. Well, train strikes. Train strikes. Yeah. It's a weekly podcast in name only, and the week is a, a fluid thing. So I think we will wrap up. So thank you so much for listening. We'll, we may see you next week. We may not. We may see you next year. We'll definitely see you next year. We may see you both next week and next year. We'll be a double treat for both you and us. I think now is a good time to stop talking. <laughs> stop. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me, Justin Pierce, the editor of New Digital Age. And it's goodbye from Andy Oakes, the publisher of New Digital Age. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a New Digital Age production. New Digital Age is part of the Blue Strike Group, the communications group for the digital industry.